Welcome to All Villa, No Filler. Please subscribe to the show. Follow us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. As we record this, the January transfer window is almost at an end. Aston Villa have been quietly active with the signings of Morgan Rogers and a few others in this window. Today, I'm joined by Neil Dunworth from the excellent For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast. Neil, what have you made of Villa's transfer window? Hi, thank you, first of all. Thanks a million for coming on, uh, or for inviting me to come on, should I say. Um, what have I made of Aston Villa's transfer window? It's been... It's been an interesting window. I think it's obviously a window whereby the club went, you, you know, like they they, they, spot, they obviously spotted and saw um, areas they needed to improve. I think it's been a very opportunistic window for Aston Villa. Um, I think it's been a window that leads me to believe once again that when I am ain't going anywhere anytime soon, when you see the, some of the, the age groups and some of the, the potential that we've brought in, in into the side. Um, and I suppose, really, we filled gaps in this January transfer window without spending an absolute ton of money. And I suppose, really, what my thoughts, my overall overarching feeling is uh, right now is that it probably frees us up to go big game hunting in, in, the, in the summer. So obviously, with financial fair play and stuff like that, if somebody does need to be sold, we don't know what the situation is there. Getting the Champions League has its own ramifications from a financial point of view. But I think what, what they wanted to do is they wanted to have a situation whereby um uh whereby they could they could identify areas uh, that they wanted to close close now and then solidify then their effort on picking the right player, the maybe right one or two players to splurge on during the summer. So for me, um I'm really, really interested in this window. Yeah, same here. It's been uh, it's been fascinating, and obviously one of the names, well, the key name really that's caught the eye is Morgan Rogers. Not a player that immediately looking at his stats you go, well, this is the next Pele. But you assume with Monchi Emery scouting department, there are underlying stats there that are telling them this is a guy that we should get in. Of course, there was also the eye test for Middlesbrough playing Villa and various other games we will have watched. But uh, what are your thoughts on Morgan Rogers coming in? Um, I look. I suppose realistically, in regards to a lot of people are look, looking at the statistical side of things, and anybody who's ever watched my podcast knows that I heavily favour statistics as well. But you need to have that eye test, as you mentioned. Mentioned too, this guy ain't a flash in the pan. It's not something whereby you're looking at, at Morgan Rogers and saying, "Oh, you had a good six months at Middlesbrough." That's a that's been a an, a too often thrown out line. I think, um, even with regards to middle to Middlesbrough fans as well, and no offence to them if any are watching, but. Um, from speaking to Middlesbrough fans as well, they're happy with the amount of money they receive. But Aston Villa have been looking to sign this guy for years, and, and so it's not a it, it's not a slapdash effort. It's not something because they watched him play against Chelsea on TV or against us in the cup or anything like that. The guy's had serious, uh, serious, uh, a, a serious kind of a halo around his head from the age of sixteen when he moved from West Brom <laughs> to to Manchester City. Um, he was under the tutelage of Mark Harrison at um at West Brom, which obviously, you know, he's going to know exactly what what this guy how this guy is thought of. Um, it also has come to light recently as well from reading some articles that Tajiki Bernstein was uh the man who just had to have Morgan Rogers at uh, Manchester City, spending six million on him. You know, pretty good talent identifier, I think. Yeah, uh, Mr. Bernstein is, um, and also Pep Guardiola would have was was quite uh enthralled by him as well. They got him loan moves quite early, which is something that Manchester City, I'm not going to say that they haven't done, but they do. They usually tend to do with people that they're. Pr- Probably 
that, that they see maybe doesn't have a pathway through to the first team in the immediate future. And if the opportunity came to sell them, if the opportunity came up to sell them, they were going to do that. So he's had a couple of loan moves. He's played, he's 21 years of age. He's played senior football for, for three different teams now. And I think that, that that experience is invaluable, and that's something that Unai Emery will be looking will be looking for with him. Um, obviously, Middlesbrough are making a massive profit on this, but what I've seen from him, I suppose, in any of the any of the videos I've watched of him, or you know, I I trawl through voice scout for hours on him as well, watching footage there. You know, he's a he's a ball carrier. A lot of people have said that before, said that uh, since he signed. He's a real ball carrier. He's a big unit. You know, at six foot, you see him in those those um. Those uh, pictures beside Manchi and beside Unai Emery, mm-hmm. he must be 6'2", at least, I would say 6'2". He's a big unit for 21. I think he's going to get a bit more meat in his bones as well over the course. Not too much. We're not talking about, you know, uh, completely taking agility out of his game. But I think he he stands to maybe put on a small a bit more mu- muscle mass. And potentially, I think over time, he will move more into that support striker role as opposed to being in the in the left-sided midfielder role. His ball carrying ability and his his unpredictability and his his uh, ability to take to to strike the ball cleanly, I think, are his three biggest attributes from what I've seen. Um, mm-hmm. And also, when you look at him statistically as well, you put him up against Ollie Watkins, you put him up against any of the wingers that we have or any of the attacking the players that we have outside of Ollie Watkins. His defensive work or the amount of defensive duels and the amount of defensive actions he takes per game is really impressive. And I don't think that. Jumps off the page an awful lot for people, but uh, specifically when you're, or sorry, jumps off the the screen when you're watching him. But he does do it, and I think that that's drawn uh, Unai Emery to him as well. So a lot to like from him. Hale's own guy, um, head screwed on. Uh, you can just see his picture. He brought all his family with him to sign the contract today, and I think they're going to be probably punch being heads on people. And I don't think we've ever gotten the question answered as to whether he's a Baggies fan or a Villa fan. But I've no doubt we'll probably know that before eight o'clock this evening when Villa launched their when Villa um released the, their first interview with him. Hopefully he was a well brought up young man and chose the correct team. Unlike Jude Bellingham, <laughs> who made the very wrong choice. Um, but uh, but you know, um, with Morgan Rogers, uh, yeah, I read an Opta analyst uh, analysis um, analysis anal- analyst sorry uh, Opta analyst uh, yes. review of him um, earlier and. Um, it was what something that caught my eye was how he likes to play between the lines, which is, I think of the Newcastle game where Tielemans and Zaniolo operated. Uh, he loves to have the ball into his feet, which is, I think is one of the most difficult skills in all of football, and he's apparently exceptional at it. Um, and uh, a, a high creator, so he loses the ball a lot, but that's obviously what high creative players try to do because obviously they try and make things happen, and it doesn't always work. So um, certainly a lot there. And it, do you feel like there's a lot that can you can be sort of molded into a? Um, a variety of positions, you know, could he be where Ramsey is on that left midfield role, second striker, or even maybe in future filling a sort of Ollie Watkins style role up front? I think he'll have to be in the interim. I think, I suppose, in the initial period of his development within the Premier League, I think he'll have to be. He'll have to be positionally fluid because um, I can see him playing on the left. I can see him playing behind Ollie Watkins. I can see him in a push without having a John Duran and, and uh, you know, Nicolas Aniolo at the moment. Um, he, the, the, the situ- like I suppose his loan situation will become more apparent as the league go- as the league season goes on. Um, mm. but I think that he would probably be utilising those three positions. Um, and I'm okay with that. I'm absolutely okay with it. Now Una Emery is too because positional versatility is something I think that Una Emery wants a bit more with within this team. He's tried it with a lot of players. He's tried it with Diaby. It's not quite working with Diaby at the moment. Having him as that support striker doesn't seem to have enough strength or power to his game. And you know you saw. 
form against Fabian Sharon's Botman the other day. Even Dan Byrne, you know, they were able to keep him at arm's length, literally, um, so that he couldn't get to the ball. Uh, I think his future, obviously, is very bright, the Abbeys. Don't get me wrong on this. I think maybe a return to a more traditional kind of wing role for him might be something that we will see in the, com- in, in the coming weeks. Um, but with regards to Rodgers, he has that one up on on pretty much any attacker that we have in the team outside Zaniolo and John Duran, who's injured, whereas he's he's quite built and uh, he's a bigger body as well in there. So I think over time he will, I think he'll start off in that, as that left player. I think he'll probably play it as number 10. And uh, I'm not quite sure whether he wants to be a number nine, um, but there's been quite a lot. I, you know, you you read through some of the old strikers of of, of yesteryear, and they all say, oh, "I didn't really want to be the main striker. I wanted to play in the wing, or I wanted to play midfield, or whatever." And they end up being bloody good strikers, or mm-hmm. people who who are like, like Didier Drogba was a right back until he wasn't, and they turned out to be <laughs> yeah. a brilliant striker. The same with Lewandowski was, you know, I think he played in defence somewhere, and then all, all of a sudden turns out to be thirty goal uh, a year striker. So sometimes people playing in positions out of spike can help, and uh, hopefully Morgan Rogers is one of those. Yeah, completely. I'm I'm pretty excited about the Roger signing. Actually, as I say, it's just, just something I'm sure the scouting department have seen that hopefully he can fulfil, uh, particularly under a nurturing coach like Unai Emery. Yeah. Now, uh, one other young signing we've made, Kostan Ajelkovic. Um, that's what I'm going with. I still haven't found the official pronunciation of his surname yet. But um, 18 years of age, Red Star Belgrade. He's gone back on loan there. Uh, reported fee around seven million pounds. Uh, any thoughts on him? A very much a needed position. The longer we can keep uh, Ezra Konza as a centre-half, I think the better. Now I'm not averse to him playing on the right as well, as we've seen. But I think we needed another right back in there. Um, this guy gives us, once again, power and pace that we have. I'm going to say that we've been lacking, and that's not in the front on Matty Cash. He's just a different type of player to Matty Cash. But um, Nedeljkovic is in Serbia is is being touted as being there apparent to uh, Branislav Ivanovic, you know. Mm-hmm. And give me Branislav Ivanovic any day of the week and twice on a Sunday because he was very, very economical, tough, um, and just bloody good uh, defender. And and mm-hmm. and if he is, if he does fulfil his prophecy of being the next Branislav Ivanovic, I think that that's uh, you know it's a no brainer that you would take him, take him in that position. Once again, I've seen him, seen him, uh, seen. A lot of footage of him from my scout as well. Um, and very, very competent defender at 18 years of age. Once again, fully there, a, a fully grown man at 18. Yeah. You know, and I think there's a lot of that thought in um in some of the signings, even when we we probably get on to talk about you know Sousa as well in a moment with regards to that. The Delkovic is, is is all there, you know, he's not going to get muscled off it. And I think the smart move of keeping him with Belgrade was um was was uh key in us getting this one over the line. For all the world in Serbia, they thought he was nailed on to go to RB, RB Salzburg or Leipzig. I can't remember. One of the RB teams. And then all of a sudden, Villa came out of nowhere and stole him. Um, I'm all for it. I think uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing him next year. I think mm-hmm. he his pathway to the team next year is very clear. And um, I think the club are really excited about him and uh, really excited about him. And that just goes to show why they probably pounced first for him, um, being our first signing within this transfer window in and and we're so willing to let him go out to go back out the red star for the rest of the year so i think if you were to pin manchi down and say which one's your favorite he's going to go medelkovic is going to be is going to be an absolute star i think that's what he's going to say yeah the clips i've seen of him just his athleticism <clears throat> alone just on the eye test getting back and forth his speed of um movement ability to tackle he it does look like there's something there with him as well and again like you you know there's a pathway on that right back role isn't there there's clearly 
vulnerability there for Matty Cash. And so um, I'm fascinated to see how he develops under uh, Unai Emery. And also Monchi has a great track record of signing relatively not well-known uh, fullbacks. Uh, Danny Alves back at yeah. Sevilla. He turned out not to be too bad himself either. Um, so, Never uh, heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but another fullback, as you mentioned just there, Lino Souza. Um, he's arriving from Arsenal. Another former baggy. Um, we, we love signing those young West Brom uh, Academy starlets. Yeah. Um, any knowledge of, about him at all? I mean, all I know is that Arsenal fans um, online didn't seem too happy about him leaving. But uh, anything you know about him? So I spoke to um, I spoke to Will uh, Will Benson from the Hitland uh, Productions uh, uh, yesterday. And uh, he avidly watches all of Arsenal's um, youth teams and youth setups. He thinks this guy is really good. He understands why he's been moved on. Um, there's been no fee for this one, which is interesting. He said the the, the numbers he's seen have ranged anywhere from about two million up to six million for this guy. But um, you, you know, it, I he personally felt it was on the around the two million mark. But I'm sure that will all come out in the wash at some stage. His overarching feeling for this was that the pathway for Lena Souza was blocked. But they have uh, last year they got rid of Kieran Tierney, they got rid of Joe uh, Joe. Is it not Joe Gomez? Um, oh, I can't remember his name, but he was there was a guy who's gone back to La Liga as well. Um, that opened the door for Lena Souza to maybe maybe start to climb the ladder with an Arsenal. I'd say it didn't happen quick enough for him and he wanted to move on for regular football. Arsenal aren't really, they haven't been great at loaning out players and they've mm. kind of stockpiled new players in the youth side, side for a while. And um, It's led to them losing the likes of Lino Sousa and also they, there was another guy who left yesterday as well and there's somebody gone on loan to Swansea today but their loans manager had left the club. He was repl- He went to become Norwich's head of, uh, head of football. And uh, they replaced that loans manager who seems to be busy already today. As I said, there's somebody got to Swansea and there's rumours two or three more are going out the door as well. So there was a kind of a stagnation for, for the youth players there. And I think some of them have decided to to go and to leave and find pastures new. But the big thing I think about Sousa again is once again was with uh was was um was with West Brom before. So like that's the bingo card that you gotta take off. Mark Harrison's gonna know him inside out. But Villa wanted to sign him. Villa wanted to sign him just like they did with with Rogers, they wanted to sign him um, before he left and went to Arsenal. So uh, he's a player that they would have known a lot about at that age. Um, physically, he's big, strong and athletic again, like we spoke about uh, Nedeljkovic. This guy's six one. We, we could have a hulking backline at some stage. <laughs> if Nedeljkovic hits the, ro- hits the ground running and so as it comes in and hits the ground running, we'll have a back four that are all over six foot. And my God, best of luck scoring the goal that Fabian Schaar scored against us, the first goal. Uh, if <laughs> we have something like that set up because I think we are a small bit undersized in certain areas I think uh, on the field albeit Shar beat um, Ezra Kanza for that goal but um, one of the big things they mentioned with this guy is that he comes into that inverted left back role that Zinchenko plays he was playing that before Zinchenko played it um, albeit he was playing it at that underage level uh, ideally that they say that there's, he, he can play in both positions he can play as a traditional left, left back or come in that inverted role incredibly comfortable with the ball at his feet at his level, the, the mind and 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 untested at um at the at senior level as well. But um, they're a small bit disappointed that they've lost him because of the fact that they lost another starlet uh, last season at left back, and they feel that they're not very well stocked in the in the underage departments at left back as well. So um, Villa Villa saw the shot and they took it. I think with this one, and Arsenal were were willing to let him go. 
uh, by all means, as I say, he, he's, he can turn out for England. And he has up to up to under nineteen level, I think, as well, and and he's also eligible for Portugal. And just remind me, just remind me, Frankie. I, I don't know if has there ever been anyone else that's been eligible for England and Portugal and this <laughs> team as well that didn't turn out too bad. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If he turns out to be an Ezri Kanza only for, only yeah. a left footed version, I think we'd be fine. I think it would be just fine. <laughs> All Villa, no filler on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Yeah, no, I'm quite excited by that. So I'm excited by all of them. The idea of bringing in young players with high potential. That's how I like teams to approach things. And, uh, you know, two others we've signed. Uh, not expecting many people to know too much about them from uh, from up in Europe. We've signed Australian goalkeeper Joe Gauchi, I think it's called. Sounds a little bit like a, yeah. a, a mafia henchman. Um, also joined from Adelaide United in the low millions. Uh, and yeah. also uh, a goalkeeper position. Obviously, that's an area we need stronger backup, I think, for uh, Emmy Martinez. And also quietly today, uh, 16-year-old Keelan Quinn. Uh, looks like he's on his yes. way from West Brom to Villa for one million quid. I mean, so this is these are a lot of young players we've signed. We're clearly prioritising youth rather mm. than in previous years where we went and signed the likes of Luca Dean for a lot of money, you know, the same period two years ago. Um, so what is this telling us, do you think, about the approach going forward from Monchi and Emery? I think that's like I, I think filling those gaps and those understudy positions with younger players. Like Morgan Rogers has come in for whatever whatever it ends up costing us, fifteen million all in all, you know, including add-ons or whatever. Mm. He's initially going to be an understudy. Like whether he's playing in the ten position when Buendia comes back, he's going to be an understudy. He's going to be an understudy to to um to Ramsey when Ramsey's on form or when Ramsey's back in back in the team. Initially he's going to be an understudy. Nedelkovic is going to be an understudy initially as well. Souza is going to be an understudy. So what it means is they're looking for really athletic, really promising, good players that have are in good standing within their clubs already, finding these opportunistic, these these opportunity costs and bringing them in to back up our our team initially because they have all the potential in the world in two years' time to replace aging players. Luca Dean ain't a spring chicken. He's younger than me, but he's not a spring chicken and he's gone high wages. Um, Alex Moreno's over 30 as well. Uh, you know, you go to the other side. We've only, we've got Ken Kessler Hayden, all right, yes. But Matty Cash is mid-20s, all right, that's not old. Uh, but we don't have anybody else there. So Nijelkovic, as I say, probably has the clearer pathway through. You look at goalkeeping play, positions as well. 23-year-old goalkeeper, he's, he's known to the new under-21s uh, uh, manager that's come into Aston Villa, um, he's known to him from because that, that manager spent a lot of time in, in in Australia. Now their paths didn't cross. I thought initially that they had played that they had been on the same teams together, or, or he managed the team when when Gauchi was there. But um, it seems to be the knowledge or the intel from this guy came from um, the new under twenty ones coach once again, whose name I can't pronounce and is escaping me at the moment. Joseph. Gambu or something like that. I can't pronounce his name. Um, so what we tend to see is that Manchi is not coming in and going, I know I'm the only one. If I can't get it done, no one else can get it done. So all your ideas, you can shove them where the sun don't shine. He's relying on other people's ideas. And that's smart for him because he doesn't know the English game. And while it's not rocket science in a lot of ways, he's relying, it shows that great ingenuity because a lot of people would have expected this to be a closed shop. Okay, the two Spanish guys are going to go into a room and come up with their, with their, their targets. It hasn't been that case at all. It hasn't been that case at all. Like you see the West Brom links, you see the links to 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 the other different links. Like Aaron Danks is at uh, is at West uh, is at Middlesbrough. I would be blown away with a feather 
if you told me that Aaron Danks didn't have at least an hour long phone call with somebody about Morgan Rogers this year, like mm-hmm. they're they're utilizing in in inside knowledge or internal knowledge, and they're using it with with the likes of Manchi. And I'm sure in the summer, Manchi's going to have his his Paul Torres uh, and and those type that big sign is going to come through the door, and it will be him, and he'll be the man. But you know, I like that co- collaborative kind of aspect that this seems to show that they're getting together, they're utilizing a brain trust. And we'll see what the outcome of it is, but you know they're signing they're signing good prospects, and they as you said before, um, they have a nurturing manager and a professor who hopefully will bring be able to bring them from A to B and on to wherever whatever number they're gonna they're gonna land on, um, as they go through through their development. Yeah, professor. Oh, yeah, we're going to land on. <laughs> yeah, if there's a young <laughs> young player, there's not many people who want to work with uh, more than uh, Professor Unai, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, looking ahead to the summer, um, given the signings we've made, uh, anywhere you still think they'll be prioritising to to improve? I think we've got big game hunting in defensive midfielder position and striker, and then we draw a line under it. I'm not expecting a busy summer. I'm expecting two two bigger name players, um, and I'm expecting them to, to empty their budget on a striker and on a defensive midfielder. And to be honest with you, I really can't see an awful lot of holes in the team. When, like, I guess you're putting an awful lot of faith in these young guys that, that we've just brought in, but there's a reason that you would have bought them now, and that's to do that. So, um, that they're the two areas I think we we will be looking at and looking for. Obviously, we've got uh, Tyrone Mings coming back into our back line, and um, we've got Emmy Buendia coming back in our attacking line. We have. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of of other players that uh, that are out at the moment. John Duran is 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 injured. Mm-hmm. Whether he's here next season or not, I don't know. But I don't think his his status would stop us from going out and buying another striker. I'm not saying that we go and buy a 50 million pound striker or anything like that. But I think another striker will come in. I've always been of the opinion that if the right 30 plus year old striker comes available for Unai Emery, he's going to pounce on him and get him in for like eight, nine, ten million bracket. Um, it's just it just always seems right. Now, I've not been proven right so far. I've been looking very silly uh, with regards to that, and he's been reluctant to do it. But potentially, I think that if it, if, if somebody he's worked with before comes available like that, that he could be someone who comes in there. And uh, and I definitely think we're going to need uh, more steel in midfield. So while there will be, I, I think there's definitely one midfielder, defensive type midfielder to come in. Maybe there's another box to box midfielder that's a bit more, a bit more bold, like willing to throw a foot in here and maybe kick someone in the chest every. every three or four weeks um, you know I think some, somebody like that this team could do it um, but outside of that you know we're we're, we're pretty good you know we're yeah. pretty good from numbers point of view yeah it's that I think and, and, and because of this window we are it's exactly, because yeah, of this yeah. window that we've just had that we are exactly this window set us up quite nicely for uh, look, looking ahead I think uh, fixed one or two backup positions that weren't quite right Um you know, uh, just quickly on the game this weekend, you know, we've lost to Newcastle, a disappointing mm-hmm. loss, but Sheffield United away. Uh, I'm going to that game. I went to the last one as well, actually, where they just put 11 behind the ball. Um, how are you feeling about this weekend? I'm feeling great. Feeling as as good as I do about going into any games. We have to remember Sheffield United are bottom of the table for a reason. And I know that they came and frustrated us and they got that goal and we had Zaniola came on and, and equalised afterwards. But... That was that game, and this is this game. You know, we have the better players, we have the better manager, we've, we're we're better set up. Um, 
uh, I just uh, it, also I'm probably feeling great about it because I have just come off the stage after interviewing Paul McGrath. I'll be in a room with 250 Aston Villa fans roaring my guts up. So uh, <laughs> I had to, probably why I'm, I've got a false equivalence of uh, of hope for this one. But genuinely, I think Villa fans should be hopeful going into this one. They should be. I think we should be, even though it's an away game, I think we should be expectant. You know, I really do. I really feel we should be expectant because it's it's the rubbers meeting the road right now. You know, against uh, are we going to be top four? Well, if we're going to be top four, we've got to go out and beat Sheffield United. Yeah. And if we're going to, if and I don't see any reason why we can't. We if we play like we did in the second half against against Newcastle United, we will beat Sheffield United. It's that it's it's that simple. But Villa have gotten into this kind of situation recently since the Arsenal game, really, whereby we've not put ninety minutes together. This yeah. team has had a habit of doing this under various different managers, whether it be Dean Smith, Stephen Gerrard, lest we mention his name. And onto Unai Emery, it hasn't been so prevalent. We've gotten into a situation whereby we're getting results and not playing 90 minutes of football, albeit we lost to, to Newcastle and to, to Manchester United. So a 90-minute game from Aston Villa, and, and, and we win. We, we we win on Saturday. And I know people will think I'm being overly confident, but, you know, we're, we're fourth in the league for a reason, or, or yeah. fifth in the league now for a reason. So, you know, like, let's let's go and do it. Let's go and beat, New, beat Sheffield United. Let's, jo- let's leapfrog Spurs again, and let's leave... Let, Go on towards fourth, fourth position or third position or wherever, and and, and stamp our, our our ticket to the Champions League. Because if we don't beat Sheffield United, well, it's not over. It's like, you know, it just puts us behind the eight ball again. So um, mm. I'm all for it. Yeah, go no. win. Totally with you. That's exactly how I'm thinking about it as well for this weekend. Got to go winning. I think we can absolutely. Um, but uh, you know, quickly, you just mentioned it there. You're going to be. Doing a big old show with Paul McGrath himself, the Paul McGrath, possibly the greatest central defender of all time, in my view. Um, tell us a little bit about it. You know what, what's what's going on. So it was <clears throat> came out of nowhere about three and a half weeks ago. We we had an opportunity. Or we we've been trying to 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 get Paul McGrath, obviously namesake of the podcast and and all around my idol. Um, we've been trying to get him on the pod for podcast for ages and ages and ages, and we finally. Uh, we thought we—I won't say we'd given up, but we were like, "Oh, I don't know when when we'll ever get this opportunity again." And then my co-host Paddy sent out a speculative text message to somebody who wasn't even connected, was who he didn't even realize was connected with uh, with Mister McGrath. And then all of a sudden, it snowballed from there. And before you know, we have a venue organized and we have uh, everything done, and there's tickets on sale. And yeah, as I say, we 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 held a live event in September just gone. And uh, we had Ian Taylor, Dan Bardell, Max and, uh, and Simon from Villa and Tour and Adam Slack from the Struts all came to it. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day. And uh, I noticed while the weather won't be anything like it was in September, because it's not supposed to be great on Saturday, uh, we will have... The, the we will have uh, the god of of about Irish and Aston Villa football himself there, and uh, it's going to be great. So I'm looking forward to interviewing him, and um, hoping that we can get it recorded at the moment. We're still not sure, but hoping we can get it recorded and popped out uh, so that other people can see it. But uh, it's great. Like Paul isn't very um, he doesn't do an awful a, a ton a ton of events, and uh, specifically doesn't do a ton of events in Ireland. And so a lot of people have never met him, and you know, there's going to be a meet and greet session beforehand as well. And it's just, just I'm just so proud of of uh, of being able to put it on, and and of the work that Paddy has done with it as well, and just so excited to be able to meet the person who got me following football, you know, as a kid, and uh, you know, and I'd be a blubber mess probably on top on the stage. I'll be like, I won't be able to cope with all of the amount of um of plaudits I'm going to give him, but 
But uh, I don't care, as I said, the book at this moment and uh, really looking forward to it now. Yeah, he was a player for all time, an incredible player. And as I say, you know, I remember Absolutely. watching growing up sporting Aston Villa when I was very young and uh, obviously following Ireland as well, the Irish family. And uh, I remember the Italia 94 and, um, oh, oh, sorry, the US 94 being Italy and um, just the memories of, of Villa as well. They're just a very, very special person in both our lives, of course. So what, mm. a, what an amazing thing to hear that you're going to uh, be uh, doing a doing a show and getting to chat to him and uh, I wish you all the best with it. Um, so, uh, Neil, uh, for those um, who, I mean, I'm sure most people already follow you who are watching this, but for those who don't, where can we find you online? Yeah, I'm most active on Twitter still or whatever it's called now, at, at Love McGrath Pod. You know, you find us, as I say, you type in Paul McGrath Podcast and we're probably the only one that's going to pop up. Um, So uh, you'll find us in any podcast platforms and on YouTube as well. And and again, Frankie, thank you so much for having me on. Um, really enjoying what you're doing at the moment as well. You've put out some absolute bangers of podcasts over the last few weeks. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm you know really thankful that you asked me to come on today. No, that's worried. It's very kind of you to say. And Neil, it's always an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Thank you so much. <laughs>